welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Church, how's it going? Um, it's my first time with you in 2022. I was uh, in Northern California on the 2nd, uh, taking a week off with my family. And I was in uh, San Diego last week at our a sister church, J- Jesus Culture San Diego, which planted... 22 weeks ago. So I've been walking with their pastor, Zach Curry. Um, our youth group was with their youth group in Mexico this weekend, and, um, and I had the privilege of preaching there. And I, I'm really excited to be with you today um, for lots of reasons. So uh, I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I'm going to just take a couple of minutes to kind of get reacquainted with some of you. Um, it's 2022, and I'm just going to say it, 2021 was really hard. It was a really challenging year for me personally, for us as a nation, uh, culturally, I think it was a a challenging experience. And um, overall, the the general sense is last year was really, really hard. Can I just say, like sometimes when you name something, it gives you like permission to take a deep breath. And you want to take a deep breath and be like, yeah, 2021 was a challenge. The, The struggle, the anger, the hostility, all of the personal stuff that bubbled up that wasn't processed in 2020 came out in 2021. I like we we kind of didn't meet as a church for half of the year, and then we started meeting. And then when we started meeting, it was kind of like, oh, this is the church now. And this is so we have some of you that are outside right now gathering, um, and you're out here. Can you you guys just make a loud noise so the people inside can hear you? No, no, let's try that again. Outside people make a loud noise. So the people inside, let me just hear real quick. Yeah, I hear you. Okay, I heard, I heard him in the back. We hear you. And there's people online and there's people here. I talked to two new people that have been following us along through the podcast or online from North Carolina today and from Brazil, a missionary from Brazil. And they've been following a church for a season. They're here like we're, we're in this season where church is kind of all over the place. Um, And yet, when I look at what the church looked like last year, kind of nationally, I suppose, it was really bad. It was really bad. I'm just going to say it. Like, I I know maybe I'm drawing attention to some of the things that maybe you weren't paying attention to, but the, the fighting over masks, the fighting over mandates, the way we tried to position ourselves in spaces in the world with power, um, using the world strategy to take over things, not Christ strategy, was terrible. And, and the church in the West is losing its voice of authority because it seems like there's one scandal after another. We watched massive institutions that I don't even need to name. One marked for evangelism in the intellectual sphere, one that's represented a worship movement and um, kind of mega churches around the world. We just saw them just fall flat because of moral failures across the board. I mean, guys, what's going, this is church. Like we, and, and, I, and I get it because like we're imperfect. We are absolutely, we've made mistakes. We've hurt people. I've said things in my youthfulness because I was much younger back then in 2021. <laughs> That's why we have Bill here who brings our, our average age of staff up a couple of years, which is so great. He's here for more than that, obviously. But I've just been reflecting on, like, what does it mean 
to be church and getting ready to kind of lead us into this new season, um, I just had this sense. Um, God bless you. I just had this sense that, um, you know, Christmas Eve came and I got an email from someone in our church whose son tragically died on Christmas Eve. And then a week later, Stephanie died tragically. And <clears throat> I, you know, I was processing the, 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 the two weeks where their new life beginnings furnace went, went out and they needed some, some heaters. And then we had people that were grieving death and we had people who were isolated and sick because everyone seemed to get COVID over Christmas. Um, and so it was just this strange, weird way of like ending the year and beginning a new year. And I started thinking about what does it mean to be church and do we really know what it means to be church anymore? And I was going to start teaching on John and I started praying and I asked Bill, I'm like, hey, would you pray with me? And as I was thinking, I'm like, we just need to, we need to get back to what it means to actually be church. And so we're going to, we're going to go verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. Because I feel like it's, it's a book that will help center us in the things that matter most and to remind us of why we're here. And, and just actually this morning, I was rereading Eugene Peterson's book on Ephesians called Practice Resurrection. Um, and, and in this book, he, he has this quote, and I wanted to bring it last minute. It says this, church is the core element in the strategy of the Holy Spirit for providing human witness and physical presence to, to the Jesus-inaugurated kingdom of God in this world. Okay, so let's just keep that up there for a moment. If you're, you're, out, you're at home and you got kids running around and you just throw some sugar cereal at them, let them enjoy it and just center in for one moment. Do you think when it comes to being church, which is who we are as followers of Jesus, we recognize the strategy of the Holy Spirit is us. The strategy of the Holy Spirit is in this room, in our imperfections, in our brokenness, in our fear of catching COVID, in our dis disdain or anger towards the government for mandating masks. It doesn't matter. We are the strategy to reveal to the world in physical form the inauguration of things not yet realized in Christ. Here, you and I, we go around the world with our heads down, not recognizing that we are being formed by the spirit of the age, Satan himself, who's using algorithms, AI, narratives, media, your insecurity, your past. He's whispering into your mind about things to keep you looking down while the world is literally going to hell without Jesus. And your plan A, you, Followers of Jesus, commissioned in the name of the resurrected Messiah. Wherever you found yourself living, whatever work you find yourself at right now, or unemployed, whatever community you're a part of, wherever you go on the streets or drive and drink coffee or get groceries, you are the physical presence of what's to come. That's the church. And I love this, just a couple of Paragraphs later, this, Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, and just lean in for this, and then we'll jump into the series. Church is an appointed gathering 
of named people. Can I just pause? I know it's not the scripture, but named people. I love this because there's about 16 churches in the New Testament that are named, and all of them have an epistle except Antioch and Jerusalem written to it. And when you read the epistles of Paul, you read names at the end. You get to Romans, and he's like, hey, say hi to so-and-so, so-and-so, this person, this person. And what you realize is that the the epistles, the, the scriptures reveal to us people who are reading these letters. Not some brand, garden.church. Not some Instagram account, which we, we paused ours for 2022. Sorry about that. Not sorry at all. Trying to lead us towards the unrealized future. But they're named people. Uh, when, when we grieve the loss of our sister and the implications it has for her whole family, are we shifting how we move towards them? Because she's a part of our community. I will grieve the fact that Stephanie's not here on Sundays. Some of you are grieving the fact she's not in your house church on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, whenever you gathered. You're grieving a sister, you're grieving a daughter, you're grieving a friend. And this is what it means to be church. And for some reason, over the last couple of years, we've, we've forgotten it. And he goes on, he says, um, name people in particular places who practice a life of resurrection in a world in which death gets the biggest headlines. Death of nations, death of civilization, death of marriage, death of careers, obituaries without end, death by war, death by murder, death by accident, death by starvation. He goes on. The practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in the resurrection life, life out of death, life that trumps death, life that is the last word, Jesus' life. So the question I have for you as you think about resolutions in 2022, is this. This is the question. How do you, how do we align ourselves to God's cosmic plan for reconciling and renewing all things? Put that down and make five steps to uh, make that happen in 2022. How do you align yourself as the strategy of the Holy Spirit, as the first fruits of what's to come, as plan A for renewing and reconciling all things, how do you align yourselves to God's desire and dream and plan to reconcile, bring together all things, renew all things? And the answer to that question is the letter to Ephesians. This is what Paul did. He writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, not as a specific letter addressing the issues that were going on, but as a homily, a church of, uh, 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 to address this, this letter would have been received and then passed around to other communities. Why do we need to re kind of look at Ephesians as a church? Well, let me just give you some thoughts that I have. It gives us the big picture of God's plan for the church, for the nations, for the whole world, for all of the cosmos, if you will. Its purpose is to ground new converts, if you're new to faith, welcome, in a faith by showing the scope of the triune God, the Trinitarian reality of who God is, and how we are to live out our faith in ordinary ways in view of this triune reality and reconciling all things. He invites us into this great master plan of renewal of all things as an actual community, not as a concept or an idea to believe in, but now to get dirt under under our fingernails and do the work with him. 
Ephesians is about becoming the kind of church that will exist as a signpost of truth of what is to come, as a testimony to the world that we live in, but also as a testimony to the powers and authorities and rulers of evil that they will see the cross triumph and the church is evidence. But it's not just about those things. It's about God's plan, his will, his good news, and what he's done. It's about how we have a new identity, a new purpose. It's about how we're supposed to live today. It's about how we pray, how we live, and how we worship, and how we do church or be church, how to live together, how to respond to sin in our community, how to gather and worship together in community, how to deal with cultural issues of division and politics and power and alcohol. It's about how to be married and how to parent your kids. It's about how to live in the workplace and all while recognizing that all of those things are influenced by Satan and his evil schemes. That's what Ephesians is about in a nutshell. You guys with me? I've got a lot of blank stares. Maybe I'm just overwhelming you with content. That's fine. Ephesians 1 begins in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's decision, if you will, to God's holy people, saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This letter begins, and we're going to look at these two verses over the next three weeks because there's that much content. And I want you to fall in love with scripture. I was inspired by the, the founders of uh, Bible Project recently, Tim Mackey. I was with him a couple months ago in Portland. And he just talked about when for centuries, for 2,000 years, people would get together and they would, they would read the scriptures together. And that was enough. And in a world that's filled with content, we need to be anchored in the word of God. So... We're going to look at this first verse, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Who is Paul? And what does it mean to be an apostle? And then we'll land with some of the the stuff about Ephesus, okay? So let's look at the early church. If you have a Bible, I want want, want you to go to Acts. I want you you to see this storyline. In the book of Acts, um, chapter 8, we see Paul arrive onto the scene of the the New Testament. In verse... um, Let's see what verse it is. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. So in the story of the book of Acts, it's the beginning of the church. And the church starts in Jerusalem, and it begins to expand. And the church was primarily only in Jerusalem. But then persecution breaks out after the stoning of Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, you can read the testimony of Stephen. Stephen was a deacon in the church. He wasn't an an official apostle. He was a deacon in the church selected by the uh, the apostles to kind of carry on waiting the tables, if you remember the story of Philip, um, for the the Hellenized and the the Hebraic Jews and the conflict that was going on. So Stephen is uh, brought before the Sanhedrin court. This is like the center of Jerusalem, the center of thinking, the legal system, the financial system. This was like the power structure, the PhDs of the religion. And he 
preaches to them about the resurrected Christ. And this is, as far as we know, an uneducated man, and he defeats them in debate. They have nothing against him. They can't possibly argue against this uneducated dude. And so they, they pick up stones and they kill him. And then we're introduced to Paul in verse 1. It says in chapter 8, um, it says, On that day, a great persecution... I'm sorry, verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of their killing him. So the first time we see Saul, who he first goes by Saul, he will become the apostle Paul. The first time we see him in the scripture is this image that Paul is approving the murder of Stephen. This is how Paul's story begins. It begins the first time he's mentioned in the Bible is approving the first Christian martyr and his death. Are you with me? How many of you here and your origin story is very, very dark? Your before Christian experience is filled with debauchery, pain, addiction, sleeping around, all sorts of nonsense. How many of you here and you could say, I know how the story begins. And sometimes the story begins way down here. But where you are now is a redemptive story. Can anyone say, yes, I have that story. I want to see the hands. Because I received an email uh, this month from a girl in our church who came to our church 12 years ago. And I've told this story before. 12 years ago, this young girl came to our church and she wasn't fully there in her mind. She was intoxicated or she, she, something was going on. And there were only about 12 of us in the church. It was at First Christian Church in the basement of, uh, of, uh, of First Christian Church. And she began to like disrupt the worship service. And she made potions. Like she grabbed crackers and Starbucks from the growler or from the tumbler. And, and she began to like ma- literally make potions and, and she was like doing like this to the worship set. And so we had to like politely grab her aside and I started praying for, he, for her and she began to hiss at me and she took off. And that night she got arrested for writing love me on a church building in Los Angeles. And she went to the hospital dealing with some issues she eventually came back to our church with her family and she sat in her right mind and I got to pray for her, but I never saw her again. And then she emailed me this month with a, a quote of the prayer I prayed over her 12 years ago. And she's in a house church and she's a believer at the garden church. Sometimes your stories start with throwing potions on the church to... I'm redeemed by God. And if you're here and your origin story is like Paul's, I have good news for you. Because this God we worship is about second chances, third chances, fourth chances, 770 chances. He is a God of redeeming all things. And you think that part of my life, that, that part of my life that reminds me of my past that I'm still struggling with, I have news for you. Ephesians is going to help you grow up to where that old self that you you would claim has power of you no longer has power over you. So Paul begins with killing Christians. And then it goes on. He's so fired up in Acts chapter 9. It says, meanwhile, verse 1, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. 
So there's this story, this ground swell in, those, in the book of Acts where Saul's killing Christians and now he's commissioned by the Jewish community with the authority of the Jewish guards to go house to house finding these disciples and taking them and persecuting them and killing them. And on his way to Damascus, he encounters a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's blinded by this vision. He falls off the horse. He goes and he sees, and, and Jesus speaks to him and says, uh, why are you persecuting me? And then he, he's bl- he becomes blind from the vision. And then God speaks to another guy named Ananias. And he says, hey, you got to go to the guy who's killing your people. And you got to pray for him because he's going to be a Christian. And he's going he's gonna to suffer for me. And I'm going to use him as an instrument to the least likely place you would ever think a Pharisee should go, to the Gentiles. That's the Apostle Paul. So Paul starts with killing Christians, has an encounter with God that is supernatural. He has a vision of Jesus. He becomes blind. A Christian has a word from God, shows up to his house, knocks on the door, prays, lays hands on him, gets healed of blindness. How great is that? He gets baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he becomes a a student or a disciple in the church. And it says at the end of that chapter um, that Saul goes to Jerusalem and it says in 22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by providing um, that, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So immediately after his encounter, Paul becomes this instrument of converting Jewish people to Christianity. Are you with me? We know the story, but let's just keep going because Paul's yet, that like this experience, he doesn't become an apostle overnight. So we don't know how long Paul was uh, in hiding. At some point we realize he goes to Tarsus, where he's from, and he studies the scriptures to understand the Old Testament with this new revelation of Jesus. We don't know if it's a couple years. Some say it's 14 years. A lot of scholars believe he, he was preparing in the desert for 14 years. And then he goes on a ministry tour that lasts 10 years. That's it. It lasts 10 years. And he says his work is complete in one of his epistles. And what was his work? To evangelize the world. In 10 years, he's done. He gets, obviously gets arrested. But uh, he says he's done. He's been faithful to Jesus because his strategy was to plant new churches in city centers that would live the way of Jesus, live a courageous missional presence, live empowered by the Holy Spirit, um, and live as a countercultural community to the Roman Empire. And we get to chapter 13. Are you guys okay? I'm just giving you like this brief story about Paul. Is this helpful? Uh, If it's not, I'm doing it for me. Sorry for you bystanders, uh, but, but I want, there's, there's this moment, and I want you to love the word, because we're going to read Ephesians, but I want you to understand this. There's this moment where Paul becomes an apostle, okay? And this, this moment happens in Acts 13, and I've been saying this for years. I feel like God wants to bring to the Western church an Acts 13 moment. Okay, now listen to what happens in Acts 13. He says, it says this, um, John also called Mark, John Mark, now in the church at Antioch, so remember um, the, the church movement 
starts in Jerusalem, and then kind of the center becomes Antioch, and then eventually it will become Ephesus, okay? So that's what happens. So the church is, is kind of primarily booming in Antioch. And it says, now the church in Antioch there were, listen to this, prophets and teachers, okay? And it lists some of those prophets and teachers. Saul's listed. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, So in the church in Antioch, there's this gathering going on where they're fasting and worshiping, and there's prophets and teachers gathered. While they were worshiping and fasting the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, it wasn't the Father, it wasn't Jesus, capital Holy Spirit speaks to the church. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So this was a defining moment for the church. Um, I would say this moment is why we are here today as the garden. Because a local church, lean in. If you're online, lean in. Outside, I don't know, grab your dog, lean in. Um, Or your child or whatever. The local church fasted and prayed, seeking God. And as a result of their sacrifice and obedience, God speaks to them. God doesn't say, I'm going to give you provision as a local church. I'm going to make your businesses in the local community awesome. I'm going to give you favor. He says, no, no, no. Set apart for me two people. There's a work I have for Barnabas and Saul. Set them apart for this new work. And so the local church says, okay, that's what we corporately heard. And then we're going to send them, we're going to financially, spiritually, relationally support these two people who will be tasked with going to the world, spreading the gospel on our local church's behalf. And as a result of that moment where a local church fasted and prayed, A new apostolic movement was given birth, and we are here because of that missionary moment. We are here because of that local church fasting. That local church recognizing the Holy Spirit's voice versus momentum, a good worship set, lights and sound machines and fog. It was the word of God for the moment, and when the church responded, apostles were released. This is the moment where Paul becomes an apostle. He'll later, later have recognition when he goes back to Jerusalem and the, the word, um, it begins to happen and he, he brings his messages to Peter, his message to Peter and the other apostles that were formed in Jerusalem. Um, and they, in Galatians, he talks about this. They'll say, hey, he, uh, he'll, he'll say they didn't add anything to my message except that I would remember the poor. As he went out, Paul would collect money for the poor, specifically for those that were suffering in Jerusalem during a crazy famine, during uh, during persecution. So Paul would go planting churches all over the Roman Empire, and those churches that were thousands of miles away gave money, and Paul collected it to bring it back to the church in Jerusalem. This is all biblical context. Are you guys good with this? Why is the word apostle used and not something else? Right? And, and let me just say this, because 
Paul becomes an apostle to the Gentiles. And we'll talk about what an apostle is in just a moment. But you, you, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. What does that mean? That meant he was, he was, his father was a Pharisee. He was trained in a rabbinic tradition and educated in this form of legalism, militant legalism, that, that lived the 613 commandments found in the Torah and added another 1,500 oral traditions to, his, to their own way. So they followed 2,000 plus rules. And the Pharisees believed that if every single Jewish boy and girl for one day observed the Torah, God would inaugurate the age to come and they would enter in a new epoch, a new era. The Pharisees were so legalistic, and Paul takes this educated, this smart intellectual, this man formed in the Jewish ways, who probably had the entire Old Testament memorized, no joke, takes this man and says, I'm taking you to the Gentiles. I'm going to take you to people and places that have no clue who Yahweh is. They have no clue what the Torah is. They don't follow those rules. They worship pagan gods. Why would God do that? His strategy is why we're here. His strategy is why we are here. God knew what he was doing. Now, let me go back. Paul becomes an apostle. Now, the term that's used by Jesus for his disciples is and was the word apostle. Not prophet, not pastor, but apostle. Jesus chose a term that was used by the Roman Empire, and it's the Greek word apostolos, which means sent one. Sent one is this Greek term used by the Romans to describe what happens when an admiral or a general uh, brings a fleet of ships or brings a, an, a, an army that's been conquered by the Romans to a new territory in order to establish the Roman government in these territories. They were sent by Caesar, by the empire, to bring about Roman culture to a new territory. So when you think about Pilate being a Roman governor, he was given the task by Caesar to make Israel like Rome. This is the idea of apostle. It was a military term used to describe the the commissioning that was taking place when a, a general was sent was a sent one by Caesar with authority and power to create in this new territory Roman culture. So that if Caesar would ever show up, this is all true in historical writings, if Caesar would show up to somewhere in Israel, it would look like Rome. It would feel like Rome. It would remind Caesar of being home. I think it's a fascinating word because it's a word that Jesus uses to describe his followers who were sent by Jesus to, give, and I'm paraphrasing, to go and make this world look a little more like what heaven looks like with God in charge. This sent one. We are commissioned by an apostolic calling, but Paul is a capital A apostle. I know this is so technical, but I just need you to stay with me for a minute. I think we as a church have failed in the West to recognize the mission, the missional impulse of the church, the purpose of the church, because we've failed to recognize the leadership that's still available today. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I know maybe this is new for some of you, but let me just, let me just say this. This is a quick church theology emphasis, okay? 
quick disclaimer. The emphasis in the modern church context today has emphasized the pastor teacher. Would you agree? Right? So which we've seen, we see, we're going to read about this in a couple of months in, in um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul will say that Jesus gives the church capital A, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He, it's called the five-fold ministry where Jesus gives people gifts, people like Paul who are gifts to the local body for the purpose of equipping the church to be a full mature church in Jesus Christ. That there are different gifts. There are apostles and there are prophets and there are evangelists. That they, th- those people are important to us becoming the full measure of Christ today. But what we've done is we've emphasized pastor teacher. It's easy to build a podcast around teachers. It's easy to build a large church around one gift of a teacher. It's easy to feel welcomed in a community where the pastor knows everyone's name. We love that experience. There are mega churches. I would like to say, uh, suggest that some of the biggest mega churches are run by evangelists. Rick Warren is an evangelist. He has built his church around a simple message of welcoming the outsiders in. And he had a profile for who he's reaching. And they built an entire church around that gifting. Most churches today are built around the the pastor teacher. This idea that this is a place that a pastor will shepherd my soul and I'll receive good teaching. Most churches do not have an adequate prophetic ministry, an apostolic ministry, or evangelistic ministry. You guys okay? I'm giving you like ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. But I need you to just, just stay with me because there, there is a sense that today we've lost the honor and the, the, um, the partnership, if you will, of the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists. This is why when Julian comes, Julian Adams, he is a capital P prophet. And we'll talk about what that means but what I know I've seen is that I, I have friends who are different gifts than me. Like Bill is different than me. Would you agree? He is a pastor teacher without a doubt. Capital pastor teacher. The, if you want to meet with Bill, he's going to open up his phone and say, okay, how about Tuesday at 3, 6, or Wednesday at 4, or, or Thursday at 9. And you're like, uh, wow, I was not expecting that, that ha- to happen. Um, let me get back. He, he, will, he has designed his life to shepherd people. And, and, and that's, we've, we've had that. There are people like John Peters who's been in our church in the past who helped us become more intentional around things of the Spirit who are evangelists. And, and when they speak, lost people come forward and accept Christ. It's just anointing that's upon them. When Julian comes, there's a release of prof- prophecy. I was, I mean, do you, for those of you that were here at our last Empowered, he stood up on our stage and he read people's mail. He's like, someone was born on this date. You lived at this place. God's doing this and this and this. And we were like, oh my gosh, yes, this is amazing. Because it, it didn't even have to be you. You just knew the person. You're like, I can't believe he's saying this to so-and-so. I think my mom was someone that he prophesied over. He didn't even know it was my mom. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. That's what prophets do. And if you read 1 Corinthians, you realize when the prophetic ministry happens, people are like, God is in this place. But Paul was an apostle. Paul was, and let me just give you this. Apostle is used 79 times in the New Testament versus the word pastor, which is used once in the New Testament. Okay, you're like, okay, but there's other words for pastor. Yes, yeah, so let's, let's combine all of them. There's the word elder. There's the word bishop and overseer and deacon. All of those plus pastor combined are only mentioned 63 times. 
Apostle is the primary word to describe the leadership in the early church and the followers of Christ. They were sent once. What does it mean to be an apostle? Here's my definition. I'm going to give it to you. An apostle is a Jesus ambassador with specific authority, called and sent by Jesus Christ with an assignment to align God's church today with God's kingdom culture here and now in order to continue to fulfill the Great Commission. Let me just give you some other ideas. Apostles establish kingdom culture, bring vision, realign the church to God's redemptive purposes and mission, bring the gospel into new territories, support church planning efforts, serve as oversight to expanding ministries, They establish um, elders in local churches. They're servants to the church. They establish communities where all the other gifts flourish. Apostles work in teams, and according to Scripture, they partner with prophets. Paul is an apostle. Someone's taking a lot of photos of that. I can just email it to you if it's easier. (laughs) An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul has this role where he goes into new territories that are pagan and look like the world, and he brings this, raises up a new community that establishes a culture. And when you talk about Ephesus in particular, we're talking about the most pagan culture you could ever imagine. But anointed by God for this task. Are you with me? So an apostle is a leadership role within the church that is given to the church to help the church realign itself to God's mission and purposes. Like when you hang out with apostles, you can't help but want to be missional. You think of the nations. You think of strategy for discipling. You think about, you get, you get invigorated to go to see the things that God's doing everywhere else. You also get passionate about heaven's reality being here and now. That's what happens when apostles are around. You, you, you're kind of activated into God's purpose. You're enlisted into God's army for the sake of going in God's kingdom expansion. Are you with me? So Paul is an apostle by the will of God. This is what we're talking about. So when you read any epistle, you're going to see this now that he's, oh, he's correcting theology here. He's, he's, cha- he's, he's showing them the importance of the spirit here. He's helping them with the Lord's Supper here. This is what apostles do. They're like, they come into the situation and they're like, okay, I got to assess this. We, we got to adjust this here. So we got to keep going. Are you with me? No one ever taught me this in church. No one ever taught me the priority of seeing different leaders and the value they bring to the body. We can't all be pastors or all teachers or all prophets or evangelists or have various gifts. Like, you can't all work for the church. That would be the fail, that we would fail to reach the world. We all have gifts. Some of you need to recognize that the confidence that Paul had as an apostle is what you have as an orthodontist, as a graphic designer, as a homeschool mom, as a video producer, as a CEO business owner, as a salesperson, as a teacher, as a student in their PhD program, as an entrepreneur. You need to be like, I'm, I'm Darren or I'm Christine called by God as a, as a, as a, um, um, as a stay-at-home homeschool mom by the will of God. Or I'm Chris Christopher, a business owner called by Jesus by the will of God. This is what we're after, that kind of identity where we recognize the things that God has put inside of us. We have not only received it on God's behalf, but we are commissioned into that identity. You guys good? Kind of just working this out as I go. 
Ephesus, which we'll talk about as we move forward, is the kind of the framework, the context for the rest of this book. And the question I'm fascinated by, because if you've, if you've been around for the last seven, ten years, um, you'll know I'm kind of obsessed about with Acts 19. I'm obsessed with this idea that a church planner like Paul goes into this pagan city where there's 250,000 people. And within a couple of years, the city riots. And within a few hundred years, 90% of this pagan city is Christian. And the question I have is, how did Paul take pagan idol worshipers from Ephesus and transform them into passionate Jesus followers? Ephesus was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. 250,000 people lived there. It was diverse. It was the banking capital of Asia Minor. It was a harbor city. It was called the Rome of the East. It was the center for the imperial cult worship of Caesar. That's why you read about in Revelation where this story of um, will you take the mark of the beast, it's specifically talking about marketplace stuff in first century context. So in order to sell your goods in, in, in Ephesus in the marketplace, you had to go and worship Caesar as Lord, as God, and they would give you a purple or blue dye on your hand or on your forehead. Does that sound familiar? What was the nickname for Nero in the first century? Beast. And so you have this idea, will you take on the mark of the beast in order to engage in the economic selling and buying of goods? For you business owners, will you partake in the the mark of the beast? Will you participate in this way of life that is Ephesian in culture? Or will you remain faithful to Christ? This is the question that is asked in Revelation for the early Christians. That there will be a decision that you will need to make to opt out of the economic norms of culture in order to remain faithful in Christ. You think, Darren, you're talking crazy. No, I'm not. It's here. We are living in that time right now where Christians will have to decide to not partake in this cultural norm. And you're going to be like, Darren, that's crazy. Like, it's just social media. Darren, that's crazy. It's just Amazon Prime. Darren, that's crazy. It's just HBO streaming. Darren, at some point you're going to decide, this is getting in the way of my faithfulness to Jesus. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about Christ formation. And Ephesus was the worst place in the planet, on the planet 2,000 years ago. Not only was it the center for imperial cult worship, it was Hellenistic, meaning that um, Alexander the Great came in 300 years before the Romans and began to train people in the culture of the Greek gods. For 300 years, they set up uh, gymnasiums where you would practice, you would worship your body and you'd work out and you'd study philosophy and you'd go to the theater and learn about their various worldviews and you'd be fed these narratives about the gods that changed the way you interacted in the world. It was a center for Artemis worship. Artemis was uh, a combination of Diana and Kibla. She was uh, the worst, the goddess. I have a list. She was the goddess of sex and sexuality and pleasure, wealth, prosperity, health, and fertility. How's that for a list? And this is what her idol looked like. Um, I think we have an idol. It might be out of order, but the idol is a statue of Artemis. Um, this is what she looked like. So if you wanted to engage in worship, you would have this, this device. <laughs> You'd have this this uh, tool uh, that you would hold on to. Do we have a picture of that, Seth? Um, is it up there? Oh, I'm sorry, I don't have it up there. So this is what she looks. So you would have this little device that you would carry around, and that, that's what it looked like. 
You put it in your home, you'd have many of them, and, and you'd worship her. And how would you worship the goddess Artemis with time, attention, energy, money, sacrifice? You would organize your calendar around Artemis. Like, so there'd be weekly rhythms built in. There'd be monthly and annual festivals. A million people would flood to Ephesus to worship Artemis. With And so if you want a healthy body, you'd worship Artemis. You want a financial blessing, you'd worship Artemis. And yeah, like, that seems archaic and primitive. Um, like, the idea of carrying around something that we worship, um, we, we do it today. Pull out your phone. And talk, go put that list back up. Let's just put, let's put the list of Artemis, the goddess. Like, I don't have my phone on me, thank God. But just imagine if I'm holding this, this idol and if I wanted sex or to identify my sexuality based on what culture was saying, it's all here. If I wanted to pursue pleasure or wealth or swipe a certain direction for the, for the thing, the outcome I wanted. If I wanted a devotion, I, I say devotion. Window shopping is devotion to the consumer gods. It breeds the spirit of discontent. We might not worship statues like Artemis, but we carry our idols around, don't we? How do we become passionate Jesus followers in a culture that's sat, drenching? We're swimming in this stuff. This is the task of the book of Ephesians. It's to help us recognize who we are because of Christ and anything else that gets in the way. We let go. Remember, I love Ephesus because a couple weeks ago, I love um, Pastor Michael shared the story of Hagia Sophia where the church, remember the, the Caesar in 404 AD came to a church uh, a couple hundred miles away from Ephesus and he said, I want to build a statue to my wife and, and the, the bishop was like, there's no way you're going to do this. So they, the, the, the Caesar of the time exiled the bishop and then that night, the congregation got together and there's this beautiful building, Hagia Sophia, and, and they, they decided as a congregation to per, burn the building down. We'd rather have no building than a statue dedicated to another God. You see, the church was passionate. And the, the, the origin story of Ephesus is two and a half years later, they're burning scrolls. They're burning artifacts. They're putting the idols on the fire. And they're saying, we can't have a rival to Jesus. And in the first century context, historians said to be Ephesian was to worship Artemis. Except when Christians in the Ephesus became Christian, they said, not anymore. Anything that draws us back to our devotion to Artemis, we're going to burn it up even if it's valuable, even if it costs us finance, finances, business practice, even if it costs us followers, we're going we're gonna to leave it behind because nothing will get in the way of our worship to Jesus. This is our heritage. This is our story. And so for me, if you're here and you're holding grudges with people in this church, are you kidding me? Do not take communion. Do not come on Sunday until you ask for forgiveness or apologize. If you're here and you're angry because there's like three people not wearing masks in the service or they're like wearing it low and you're like, oh, they're totally this, you're judging them. Have grace. If you're here and you put on a mask and you hate it, thank you. I know, I know there are people here who are anti-masks and they wear masks to be in fellowship. How amazing is that? They have humbled themselves. It has to be in both directions. When we get going on this book, you're going to see that I'm going to go after it. I'm not going to hold back. And when I go after, I'm going to go after the left and their wokeness and you're going to be offended. And the right's going to be like, yeah, you get them. But then I'm going to come after the right. 
And the left's going to be like, yeah, you get him. And then you're going to be offended. And it doesn't matter because it's Jesus and Jesus' church. And it goes to all nations, all things under his unity. Unity in all things. And the Greek translation, you know what it means. The Greek word for all things is what? All things. That's right. Great job. <laughs> so I'm going to end with this. This is, um, I've been going too long. But I'm going to go long, just so, you, so prepare yourself. We've got one service, and God bless one service right now. Because that means two things. One, we can just wait on the Lord. We can let the word speak. We, we can be patient. You're like, oh, you're preaching for 45 minutes to an hour. Are you kidding me? You freaking binge-watched Yellowstone. You binge-watched <laughs> some new show, Jack Reach. I don't, know, I don't know what kind of debaucher you're into. I'm into all this. You can manage an hour once a week of someone who is praying this for his people, who loves you enough to say hard things and, and will continue to say hard things that offend and watch people continue to walk away, which is why 2021 was so hard for me. 13 years, my wife and I have been pouring our lives out for this community. And there are people who want to walk away because of political ideology on both sides. It's not one or the other, it's both sides because of some offense that took place with staffing or something else, some, some thing I said or something that they, she didn't do or someone else did, and I'm the face of the institution, which I, I have come to accept, which is fine, but I will go after the biblical church. I, 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 that is what we're going we're gonna to go after. We're going to make mistakes, and we will apologize along the way, which I have. You've heard me apologize here. But we're, we want to, I still believe revival is coming. I still believe that the church is God's plan. It's not a podcast. It's the local church, right? It's not a website. It's not a, a conference gathering. It's not a stadium event. It is always, and it will always be the local church throughout history. And it's messy, and it's ugly, and it's offensive, and it disappoints, and it makes you upset, and it's, and it's celebrating, and it's amazing, and it's good, and it causes joy. This is what it means to come together despite our differences and say, Jesus is Lord. Amen. The book of Ephesians is, is a beautiful demonstration of the gospel, right? And what I love about it is that the gospel of Christianity, the good news, always tells us what God has done first. And the gospel is simply our response to what God has already done. Christianity is unlike any other religion out there, which basically says you have to earn your place with the deities, earn your place in this religion, earn your place with nirvana or these other gods to find paradise or salvation. But Paul, in the book of Ephesians, lays this out. Here's what it looks like. And it doesn't start with a command. It doesn't start with, here's how you got to operate. Here's what you need to do. Instead, it starts with, here's who you are because of Christ. This is what God has done. And this is what it means for you now. And now live in response to the, of this. And what Paul gets that we often don't get is our view of God shapes the way we live in the world. I want to show you. So I was reading this um, on Tuesday or Monday. And I just, I was, uh, the rest of our staff were having a meeting. I wasn't invited, which is great. So everyone else was meeting except me. And I, I sat in our room, which our, we have a new office space. Grace Brethren uh, in Long Beach has opened up their office to us. So we office with them now. They have all this space. They have an insane campus, 
We're like walking around going, there's a room here, there's a room here. And I'm just like, oh, like this is amazing. Um, but our rent was going up quite a bit. And we're so about stewardship for God's purposes that we gave up our awesome office space after five or so years so we could save income because we believe that we're called to be stewards of God's, um, God's grace upon us. Last year was the first year we didn't bring in more than what we needed. Um, we, I think we barely squeezed by. So this is going to be a trying six months for our, financial, for our finances, which is I'm not worried about. But for us, we made decisions based on where, where the trends were going. And I was sitting in our new office space, and I just read this. And I want to put this on the, on the board for you so you can see this. But uh, this is all from the book of Ephesians. What Paul will lay out for us is apart from Christ— we are dead in our transgressions and sin. We followed the way of the world. We're ruled by the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We're enslaved to cravings and the desires of our sinful nature. We're objects of wrath. We're separated from Christ. We're excluded from citizenship in Israel. Foreigners to the covenants and promise. We're without hope, without God, and far away. So keep it right here. This is who you are apart from Christ. In Christ, what we'll read is this. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing, chosen before the creation of the world, holy, blameless, adopted as sons and daughters of God, given grace, redeemed, forgiven, predestined, included in Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit, recipients of God's lavish grace, recipients of God's glorious inheritance, alive with Christ, saved, raised with Christ, seated with Christ, God's workmanship, created and brought near. We're part of a new humanity. We have access to the Father. We're fellow citizens. We're members of God's household, and we are God's building blocks of God's temple. Some of us are really stoked about that. But go back to the other one for a moment. And I want you to think about the season of life where maybe like our sister, you made potions. Because you did potions back then. You did Tinder back then. You did social media because you had nowhere else to go back then. You filled your calendar with parties because you were so lonely. You messed with substances that caused you to feel less because you longed for more. You remember that time? Maybe you didn't have that time. I remember that time where I felt apart from Christ and all of those things. And Paul will simply say over and over and over and over and over and over again to the point where you're sick of hearing it. This is who you are. Go to the next one. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You're holy. You're blameless. You're adopted. You're grace. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're included. You're predestined. He will say over and over again, this is who you are. He will hold up a mirror and say, that's who you are. Not that. That's your old self. That's died with Jesus on the cross. That potion-making girl is no longer here because all you have is redeem and redemption and grace and forgiveness and holiness. You are a saint. This is who you you are so be who you are and for the task for our future is simply this be who you are let's stand thank you for listening for more information please visit garden.church